We're going through the Gospel of Mark. And two Sundays ago in chapter 9, that's where we're going to be heading to today, when I preached out of the Gospel of Mark, we're doing a journey through Jesus, or with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. And um, we preached, we looked in Mark chapter 9 when Jesus said how we become great in his kingdom. Remember that? Remember two weeks ago. Okay, you're, you're, you don't have Alzheimer's. You have a somewhat short-term memory still functioning. Um, how to become great in the kingdom of God. And the reason that Jesus taught about how to be great in the kingdom of God is because his disciples had been doing what I think is just the most bizarre, kind of comical thing, but so human, is that they were right after the Mount of Transfiguration where they come off the mountain when they could not cast a demon out of a boy. They walk away from that and they're arguing about who's greatest. Instead of walking around saying, man, I can't believe we couldn't do it. What's going on? What's wrong with us? They're walking around after their failed ministry attempt, not in Jesus' hearing, arguing with each other, it says, about who was greatest um, among them. And Jesus, knowing what they're talking about, sits them down and he basically explains to them that, you know what, you guys misunderstand greatness. You just don't understand what greatness is. And he taught something. He taught something that is incredibly empowering. He taught something that, that, that is important to all of us because it's not based on abilities. It's not based on giftedness. He taught that real greatness in the kingdom of God comes through service. He said this. He said, if anybody wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. That if you want to be first, if you want to be great, he says in another place in the New Testament, puts it that way, that he shall be last or servant of all in order to become great. And we found that when we looked at that, it was because, the reason that's true is because those who serve reveal that they really know how to love. They reveal that God has really changed their heart. And that's how God, what God says is greatness. That a changed heart that results in serving other people. God looks at in His kingdom as greatness. And we understand that, that the reason we don't generally look at that way is because we misunderstand what greatness is. But that greatness, that what we want to have as our grid work to figure out what's, what's great in this world is look at it the way God looks at it. And God looks at it and says, greatness is when you learn to serve. Because that shows that God really changed your heart. Because God looks at that as greatness. Now, do you remember when we did that, we started that sermon off, and we had a whole bunch of symbols up on the, up on the screens. And I said, what's that represent? There were peace signs and all kinds of different stuff. And we came to a symbol. We ended up with the cross. With a cross. And I said, you know, that's a symbol of Christianity. But according to this text, there was a better symbol of Christianity. Do you remember what that symbol was? A towel. I had a towel up here that I presented to Pastor Paul, our children's pastor, when he um, was installed as our children's pastor. And uh, said, you know what? Uh, a great person, a great leader is a great servant. And we said that a towel represented um, genuine Christianity, a, a life of service. Now, that message that Jesus taught and that we looked at was meant to be very empowering because any of us can pick up a towel and serve other people. In the world, greatness is defined by your abilities. Greatness is designed, defined by, oftentimes by things that you can't control. Sometimes, you know, some of you are just really smart. <laughs> you know? Some of you are really capable and the world looks at you as great. But some of us don't have the same giftings. I always said this about myself. I'm a one-talent guy. I have a friend who's a brilliant guy. He's a business owner, multimillionaire, And he gets ticked at me every time I say that. I say, Jimbo, I'm a one-talent guy. He goes, shut up. I work with people all the time. You're not a one-talent guy. I said, you know what? I'm all right with it. I'm a one-talent guy. Jesus says some have one, some have five, some have ten. Most of us are one-talent people. You know? And so the great thing about that message that Jesus taught is that any of us can pick up a towel and serve other people and be seen as great. 
And that what really matters is God saying we're great, not the world saying we're great. And God was trying to rewire us. Remember we talked about that? Rewire our thinking so that we would understand what, what he says is greatness. Because what he says is greatness is really what lasts for eternity. And that's all that, that's all that really matters. Any of us can become a servant, become great in the eyes of God. And that's awful good news to me. And I hope it's good news to you. Now, as Jesus taught, the reason I'm going all the way back there is I want to remind you of, of something we saw in that story. That as Jesus taught that day, it said he did something with a small child. Do you remember what it was? He picked up the small child. He picked up the little child, and, and some historians say it might have been Peter's child, church historians, picked up the small child, and, and he said this, that if you serve a child, you serve me. He said basically what he's trying to get at is that if you serve those who are the most vulnerable, if you serve those who are the easily, the most easily mistreated, the most, those who are often overlooked, little children, he said if you serve those who are mistreated and overlooked, the vulnerable, he says then you're really serving. And that's greatness in my eyes. Now picture that. The disciples are sitting. He's holding the child. And he goes on talking. We're going to look at that in a minute. While he's still holding that child in his arms, the same child, he changes his focus from the positive, and it was real positive, saying we can all be great if we'll just serve. He goes from the positive, where he says that we can help others, especially help the smallest and the weakest. He's saying it with his child in his arms, and he switches gears and he goes to the negative. And he talks about with that child in his arms, how we can also harm other people. And that's what we want to look at today as we move ahead in our journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. And there's times that I wish I could just skip over sections because you say it's fun to talk about being a, being a hero. But it's still talking about being a hero. It's still talking about being great. But it's, it's going to the negative side of how we can destroy that greatness. And Jesus wants us to not only say this is how we can accomplish it by being a servant, but understand this is how we can destroy being great if we, if we misuse what God's called us to do. So grab your Bible, turn to the Gospel of Mark with me, chapter 9. And we're going to look at verses 42 to 48 together. Remember, he's still holding this child when he's saying this. Chapter 9, verse 42 says, Whoever causes one of these little ones, the child he's holding, who believes to stumble. Some of your translations say, who believed in me, in Jesus, who believes in Jesus. It would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he had been cast into the sea. In other words, tie a rock around your head and drown you in the sea. You're better off than causing a little one to stumble. Verse 43. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet and to be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now remember, Jesus is going on in the same teaching about being greatness. And basically Jesus is saying here, and we're going to look at this, kind of dissect it as we go through it, is saying that not only are we to serve others, but as those who want to be great in God's kingdom, we need to protect others also, especially protect 
the most vulnerable. Verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes to stumble, it would be better for him if... Pick it up so I can actually read it. I'm trying to read it from down there. It'd be better. <laughs> it would give you uh, verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes to stumble, it'd be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. So he's basically saying, listen, um, you want to be great in the, in the kingdom of God, you need to protect those little ones from stumbling. And it's really interesting here how he approaches this here because... Since he is saying this to his disciples, remember he's not saying it to a crowd. He's saying it to his disciples who are seated at, the, at his feet as he's teaching them. He is basically saying that we as his followers need to protect the vulnerable around us from any harm that could be caused from ourselves. That's what he's saying. If you want to be great in the kingdom, not only do you need to serve, but you need to protect the little ones around you from harm that could come from you from yourself. We have to make sure that as those who serve and as children of God, that's what we want to do. If I was to ask Dan and Darling Sharp today, do Portview people serve? They would say yes. They come to my house. They take care of my kids. They make us meals because our children's in the hospital. Fiesta Links, do we serve? They would say absolutely. They create classes for my children who have special needs. And he's trying to say this to people like us people like you, that we have to make sure that as those who serve, that we also do no harm to the people that we are serving. That we need to be very aware that those who serve, hear me, can also do great harm. And there's a reason for that. It's because those who serve gain a level of trust from the people that they are serving. And that that trust can be exploited. That's what Jesus is trying to get at here. That those who serve, that we gain a position in the heart of the people that we serve. And in that position of, of, of trust in the heart of those people, since as servers we are still human and we're still tended towards sin, we can use that position of trust in the heart of the people that we're serving to exploit the people that we are serving. And that, that exploitation can do incredible damage to the people that we are serving give you an illustration of this. It's something that's been playing out right in front of our eyes. And if you've ever turned on your TV and watched the news for 10 minutes in the last six months, you've been seeing this, all the news stories of the, the Jerry Sandusky trial. You familiar with what I'm talking about? Jerry Sandusky, who is, you know, and, and understand, uh, in our nation, a person's innocent until proven guilty, and he's going through trial right now, but based on everything that's coming out, it appears that he's guilty. And, and he's guilty of doing exactly what Jesus is warning against in this, in this teaching here, about abusing or harming those whom he has given his life to help. If you understand the story, Sandusky is a, was the assistant coach at Penn State football under Lou Paterno, and, and just a, an incredible uh, football program. He's a, a, a hailed assistant coach, and he started as the assistant coach an incredible ministry called um, The Second Mile. The second mile where um, it helped thousands and thousands of underprivileged children. And such a great charity, in fact, that it was so impressive that the second president, or first President Bush, remember back, some of us remember when first President Bush was president? Brett, did you know there was a first President Bush? Uh, my son. Remember his thousand points of light? 
He talked about how, the, how people, and especially Christians, a faith community, had to go out and make a difference in the world. He talked about them being a thousand points of light in the darkness. And in teaching about, or talking in America about becoming the thousand points of light, one of the places he uses as a shiny example of how to do it, of how to shine in the darkness, was Sandusky. He talked about a second mile ministry. Second mile ministry. As a matter of fact, it's called the second mile, which is a it's a biblical reference to going the second mile when you're asked to go one mile. This great ministry that, that President Bush um, said, this is an example of what people should do in the darkness. So a great a great organization helping thousands of underprivileged kids. But if the reports are true, Sandusky used the trust that he gained through serving at the second mile to build rapport with young boys. And then, if the stories are true, to sexually abuse those boys over a many-year period of time. And this is, this is just the crux of it. The helper became the herder. The helper became the herder. And when somebody is a servant and they're trying to help, they gain that position of trust. And in that position of trust because where people can be used to harm the people that we're trying to help. Now I know that the Sandusky case is extreme, but I think I wanted to use it to illustrate how damaging people who say they want to help can be. It's a warning. It is an extreme case, but it illustrates what Jesus wants us to take very serious um, as we look at his text today. That we should that we do harm to people. Are we ever doing harm to people that we're actually called by God to help? But I don't think that he's primarily in his text here talking about physical harm as we look at the Sandusky case. But I think he's primarily talking about you and I causing spiritual harm to the people that we are supposed to help that are around us. See, Jesus specifically says this in the text that we, that we read. It says, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin or to stumble... If anybody causes one who believes in me to sin or to stumble, it would be better for him to be drawn in the sea. His primary focus is on spiritual matters, causing a believer to stumble or a young believer to sin. See, Jesus is wanting us to understand how powerful our influence is in the lives of those around us, especially our influence on the young. That our influence can lead them into lives of sin and away from Jesus. That we can influence them to stumble in their journey with Jesus, the very thing that as servants we say we're trying to accomplish, helping those around us on a journey with Jesus, to, 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 to walk with Him and eventually be with Him in glory. Jesus wants us to understand that what we do really does matter because other people are watching. And our involvement in a life of sinful activity can and will influence others into that same type of lifestyle because what we do speaks louder and is more influential than anything we ever say. If we say, just do this to the kids, do that, but we do something different, they, they, they will generally imitate what we do, not what we say. Now, a person in America can say this. They can say, you know what? It's a free country. And it is. And I can live however I want to live and no one can be my judge. Well, that's true. We can do that. But Jesus in his text says that if we live in such a way that it negatively affects other people, that we as individuals be responsible for the influence we have on other people. 
In fact, he makes one of the most graphic statements I think he ever makes in all of Scripture. He makes his point crystal clear when he says that if we cause someone to sin because of our influence, that it would be better if a millstone was tied around our neck and we were thrown into the sea. It doesn't get more graphic than that. Historians believe that, that he made that reference because shortly before um, some criminals had been punished, history said, and the way they were punished is rocks were tied to them and they were thrown into the sea and people saw them floundering in the water and watched them drown. Now there's no evidence to prove that's exactly what Jesus was referring to, but it's very likely that he was trying to be incredibly powerful and incredibly graphic, that he wasn't trying to pull any punches here, that he wants us to understand that he loves people. And that he loves people so much that he died for all people, including us. And that he will not look the other way when someone harms those people that he loves so much, especially the impressionable and the weak. And moms and dads, this ought to make us do some honest evaluations of our lives. You know, am I through my lifestyle, through my choices, through my involvements, through my lack of involvements, doing spiritual harm to my kids? We need to ask ourselves that question in light of what Jesus is teaching. Jesus says it's something that we need to take very seriously. How do we influence those we are trying to help? We are responsible for the influence that we have on other people. But it doesn't stop with moms and dads for all of us. You know, we ask what kind of a spiritual influence are we having on impressionable people around us? What does our example say to the new Christian in the chair next to you this morning? One thing we're so blessed with here at Port is we have so many people come to Christ all the time. We just have so many new converts. People fresh in their walk with the Lord. And you know what? They look at us, and and I need to ask myself, and you need to ask yourself, what does my example say to the new Christian in the chair next to me? What does my example say to the pre-Christian, the person who's just at the gate, they're just ready to receive Christ, who works at the workstation next to me on Monday morning? What does my conversation about my lifestyle have to say to them? That's what Jesus is getting at here. See, we all have the ability to influence. We all have the ability to influence for the positive, and that's what we like to cheer and say, I love the influence for the positive. But Jesus is turning the coin over here, and he's saying, but servers, you also have the possibility to influence for the negative. And Jesus wants us to be sure that our influence is positive in the lives of others and never negative. And that's why he talks so drastically in this text about dealing with sin in our lives. That's what we're going to look at in a second. Since, because he's going to basically say this, since our lifestyle choices influence others, we are to get serious about dealing with our lives and especially dealing with sin in our lives. Grab your Bible again. Did you wonder why when we read this, it, he makes this jump from whoever caused him when he's a little one to stumble, and all of a sudden he starts talking about cutting off your body parts. It's not, he's not switching gears here. He's giving an illustration. Verse 43, it says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than having two hands go into hell, into the unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, to sin, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now understand something from Scripture. When Jesus says something three times, he's trying to really get your attention. Repetition is for emphasis. He's saying, you know what? If something causes you a problem, get rid of it. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. 
He says, matter of fact, he says, so strong, he says, it's a matter of heaven or hell. He says in the last example there, it's a matter of entering into the kingdom of God or going to hell. He says, that's serious. Now, first of all, understand, Jesus isn't promoting mutilation. Jesus is not trying to teach here self-mutilation. That, you know what, when we sin, we should just, you know, chop, really chop off our hand. But some people throughout history have thought that. A guy named Origen of Alexander, he thought that. He wrestled with, with, with sensual desires and he had himself emasculated trying to deal with it. He looked at this verse and said, that's how to deal with temptation. Well, that's not what Jesus is teaching here. This is hyperbole. Who knows what hyperbole is? Remember from English class, hyperbole is exaggeration for effect. You say, how do you know that? Because nowhere in Scripture do we see Jesus ever stealing with somebody who sins and, said getting, and pulling his pocket knife out and say, okay, let's deal with this. Because otherwise, the Apostle Peter, on the night when he betrayed Jesus three times, he said, you will deny me three times before the cock crows in the morning. And the three times he denied him. If he was trying to promote mutilation to handle with sin, Peter would have asked up that sword he used to cut off the servant's, the servant's ear the night that, that Jesus was taken. He would have taken his sword off and cut out his tongue. He'd say, well, I'm not going to sin anymore with my tongue. He didn't do that, did he? He went on to preach the day of Pentecost. I'm glad he didn't deal with his, with his sin by trying to cut out his tongue. Or we wouldn't know the message of Pentecost. It's exaggeration for emphasis. Jesus is making a strong statement here. He's basically saying this. We must take radical action to stop or to avoid sin. That sin is no joke. It's no game. It's no little dark secret. It's sin and it must be stopped. And the reason it must be stopped is go to the verse earlier because people are watching you and people are being influenced by you and me. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you will have great influence. And as you have greater influence, you will influence more people. And Jesus says, if you're going to be a great influencer, I want you to make sure that your lifestyle lines up and influences people in the right way. You see, to obey Jesus here and to stop sinning involves this maiming of ourselves. That's why he's so graphic about it. This cutting off. He says we have to cut out certain things that are or can be a source of sin that then could negative, uh, negatively influence people that are looking at us. It does matter what you do because people are watching. And you know what? The rest of the world has the right to say, it's America, I can do what I want to do. But guess what? As children of God, we choose to give up some of those things to say, I'm going to, in, in essence, maim myself, keep from doing some negative things that will not then negatively affect other people, which will cause them to say there's nothing really to this Jesus stuff anyways. So we do choose, choose to act different. You say, people say, I've heard it for 20 years as a pastor, but I have a right. And I say, yes, you do, but you have a right to give up certain things to positively influence other people instead of negatively telling them that there's really no difference between living for Christ and living for the world. That's what Jesus is getting at here. That there are things that our hands like to do that we need to cut out. There are things that, and places that our feet want to carry us to walk into, to go to, that we need to choose and not go. We need to cut those off so we don't do them. There are things that our eyes like to look at that need to be cut off or turned off or logged off of. That's what Jesus is trying to get off here. He's saying get serious about sin because your sin um, affects other people. Get serious about sin, which involves an, an intentional self-limiting. That all things are acceptable, not all things are profitable. That we limit ourselves. 
Because not all things are profitable for us or for the people who are watching us. Jesus is saying, if something causes you to sin, cut it off, gouge it out, get serious about it. Remove or avoid those things in your life that cause you to sin, no matter what the cost. You know, I'm so proud of two people from Portview right now. I'm proud of hundreds of people from Portview right now. But we have two people right now who have just been accepted into the Teen Challenge program. Who have kind of, come to Christ. Two people in the last week. That, that have been accepted in the Teen Challenge. If you're not familiar with Teen Challenge, it's a, a drug and alcohol rehab program making six-month commitments to get over their sin, sin problems, get over the, that, that bondage in their lives, saying, I'm going to get serious about dealing with my sin. I'm so proud of those people who say, you know what, um, I'm going to do it because they are getting radical. They're cutting things off. They're getting radical to stop their sin. And I tell you this, Jesus blesses that kind of radical commitment. So, being great, being first in the kingdom of God, is kind of this two-sided coin. First side we looked at two weeks ago. We serve with hearts of love. And then today we look at the other side of the coin. We serve with hearts of love, but we are intentionally careful that we don't harm the people we're here to serve. And that we live out the type of lifestyle that we want others to live. We be what we want other people to become. And when God looks at that, he says, that's a great person. And friends, God wants us to live, in, live lives that he says are great. And I promise you this, a pat on the back from Jesus is way better than a pat on the back from somebody in the world. And God says, I want to pat you on the back. Be great. I believe I'm looking at a congregation filled with people who want to be great for God. You know what? Be the server. Be the servant. Buck the world's trends. Be the servant and then be radical about dealing with things that would keep you or it would, would, would allow you to be a negative influence on the very people you're trying to serve. God says, if you do that, you'll be great in my kingdom. I want to be great. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray together. Jesus, you know, you taught this message in one sitting. You picked up that little child, and you talked about the positive about how to be great, and then you gave a warning about the negative. God, we've looked at over two separate weeks, and I would ask this morning that you would cause those things just to be married together in our spirits. That, God, you would challenge us as a church to want to be superstars in your kingdom. And thank you that being a superstar is not tied to um, our abilities. It's not tied to our... To our um, what the world would say is greatness, is tied to our willingness to pick up a towel and serve. And God, as we then pick up the towel and serve, I pray, God, that we would be cautious, that we would recognize that, Lord, we have the ability to not only bless but to harm. And God, I don't think you want us to be walking in fear, but you want us to be aware of the fact that we have the ability to harm. And so, God, I pray that you would just help us as we look to become great in your kingdom, God, to serve those around us and to serve them in such a way that we give our lives to be holy and to be pure and to be positive. Father, help us to be serious about dealing with sin. But open up our eyes to areas in our lives that need to be cut off.